The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. We love that you continue to join our church in this way. As we jump back into the Gospel of Luke, we took a one-week break uh, for Orphan Sunday last week just to make sure that we understand how important it is to know that there are children out there who have no one and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to make sure that they have something over their heads and a person to give them a hug. So if you jumped in last week, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you are still thinking about it, then my encouragement is still the same. Please take the conversation to action. And I hope that we can say we as a church did something really, really great with Orphan Sunday. But we're back in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to catch you up because it has been a week. So the last thing we heard was that Jesus was traveling from Ephraim to Jerusalem. That's the last thing we heard. He has a large crowd of people with him, and he has decided to teach on prayer. He's actually going to give two parables. We looked at the first parable two weeks ago. He's going to give two parables, and they each, they each need their own attention based on where you're at. He tells the parable first of the persistent widow. He said, there's this woman who needs the judge in her town to advocate for her, to give her justice. And she goes to him time and time and time again and finally receives the justice that she needs. And the whole point of that parable is this. If you go to God persistently in prayer, how much more so than an unjust judge out in the middle of some Roman territory who finally hears this woman's plea, how much more so will your just God give you the justice you ask for. That's the clear point. But I asked two weeks ago, is that you? Are are you someone who is persistent in prayer? Is that how you live your life? And you you had to answer that question. There's no way to get around that. You had to answer that because today we have a second parable spoken to a very specific group of people. And it's a group of people that tend to hang out around the church. But I want us to understand this second parable needs to be heard as well. Because when we go to God in prayer, oftentimes we think, hey, God, you owe me something. And I want to just be clear right off the bat. God owes us nothing. He's already given us everything in his son, Jesus. So he owes us nothing, but there are still people out there, and maybe you're one of them, and it's okay, that believe God owes me something. So we have another parable now about prayer, and it starts with this, the recipient. Here's who is getting this parable, Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So that is the audience. That is the recipient. That's the recipient to those who thought their own righteousness was good enough and those who looked down on everyone else. Now, 
We know because of history that Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious elite that believed they had everything and everyone else was below them. We don't have Pharisees anymore, but I do want you to start to listen and see if there's anything that kind of stands out to you. The Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to, the recipient of this parable, I I just want you to hear this. They were self-righteous individuals who considered themselves worthy of God's grace. That's funny because by definition, grace is unmerited favor. So they considered themselves worthy of grace while the definition of grace is unmerited favor. The Pharisees, and thus the recipients of this teaching, They believed that by their religious performance, they earned the rights to make and demand of God whatever they desire. We're better than everyone else. Matthew actually records this. Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. Everything they do is done for people to see. They're so self-righteous. They're so religious. They want others to see all that they do. They make their phylacteries, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. They make them wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, phylacteries, if I'm pronouncing that right, here's what they are. They're boxes that they wore across their head band and on their forearm. And they wore them because they held the scriptures they were memorizing. We would put them in our pocket But the Pharisees put them in very prominent positions and they made them very big. So these phylacteries that they thought were very important, they made them wide and they made them big. And the tassels on their garments, finishing verse five there, the tassels on their garments, they made them very long. Why? Because in Numbers 15, 15, 37, it says, to make the corners of your garment, to make them represent your obedience to the commandments and to your holiness. So they chose to make their tassels very long. Don't picture wedding train long, but picture kind of awkward walking through the dirt streets of Jerusalem. They made their tassels very long because it represented their holiness. It represented their position before God. They were good. Everyone else wasn't. They wanted the dirt to be drugged behind their tassels. Verse 6, they love the place of honor. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seat in the synagogue. So at banquets, that would have been directly to the right of the person hosting that dinner. In the synagogue, it would have been the chair up here where the the elder gets to sit in the synagogue. They want those seats. They covet those seats. Verse 7, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. When I go speak places, I often get asked, how do you want to be addressed? Do you, do you want Reverend Tyson, Pastor Tyson? Do you want doctor? I'm like, well, I don't have a PhD, so I can't be doctor. Like, I get asked this oftentimes because people want to give respect. 
the, these Pharisees, they desired more than anything to be given the title rabbi, teacher. That, that was what they wanted. They wanted that. It made them feel elevated to a certain place. When I go, I'm like, you can just call me Todd. Like, that's, that's my name. That's what I am. I, I'm no greater and I'm no lesser than anyone else in this room. We're all just kind of equal as sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't need titles, but these rabbis, they wanted those titles. The pompousness that we see here by the recipient of this parable is shown in the way they pray. And we get their prayer next. The, the prayer of the self, self-righteous person, Luke 18, verses 10 and 11 Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Okay, so the Pharisee is a self-righteous person. The tax collector is a sinner. We'll get to his prayer here in a minute. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. When it says stood by himself, he wanted the seat of honor in the temple. That's why he was up there. He was separate from the crowd because he thought he was better than the crowd. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. It starts good. God, I thank you. God, you're good. I thank you. You, I, I adore you. But no, that's not what he's saying. God, I thank you that I'm not like the riffraff. I'm not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer. Or even like this tax collector. And he straight up points out the tax collector. That is crazy to me. He points him out and calls him out and says, I'm not like him. Jesus is telling a parable, so this didn't actually happen, but he's making a strong point. However, I have been in prayer meetings with large groups of pastors. I actually was in a prayer meeting one time discussing a junior high camp. It was within a mainstream denomination that we do not belong to. And within this camp meeting, someone threw out the idea of this. Let's have a day, a whole day, 24 hours of prayer. Let's let's just do that. Let's throw out a, a whole day of prayer. Everyone else in the meeting went, well, there's a water slide and there's all these other activities and there's worship. Like we can't just take a whole day and pray. So the person who threw out that idea that was immediately dismissed by the camp prayed at the end of our meeting. And the prayer went something like this. Dear God, thank you for who you are. Will you please help those who do not see your direction and your will? Will you help them come into the knowledge that what you desire is greater than what they desire? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. It went something like that. Everyone in the room knew that that person was calling us out. The, the youth pastors in the room that said, no, like we're here for four days. We're not going to do a 24-hour day of prayer. We, we can have a prayer evening. We can, we can do something else. But everyone else knew that what that prayer was was a call out. For us, you would think that what Jesus is saying here is 
astronomically impossible. But it happens because people get frustrated and they want to be known. And I think that's what is happening here. This Pharisee wants to be known. His prayer was moot. It did not matter. He didn't ask for anything. And Jesus wants to point that out. There are real people in this world who pray in this way. But it's very important for us to understand this truth. Those people are not praying. When that person in that youth pastor gathering was praying, they weren't actually praying. Prayer is to petition the Father. That's what it means. It means to ask. It begins with listening. We've talked about this. Begins with listening. And after some adoration, some thank you, God. Now, that's how that prayer started, but there was no real thanks. Thank you that I'm not like this person. That's not real thanks. But it starts with some listening and then some adoration and it ends with asking because prayer is petition. We learned that two weeks ago. The Pharisee in this parable was not praying to God. He was talking to the other people so they could hear what he was saying. That's not prayer. The pastor at this camp that I'm talking about wasn't talking to God, wasn't asking that our hearts would be united. They were talking so they would be heard. If you thought it couldn't get any worse for this Pharisee, he's already already done this. His prayer is not to God and it's to demean someone else. It gets worse. In verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. Who prays that? How is that a prayer? I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. How is that a prayer? It's not. It's a declaration of self-righteousness. I do this. And I do this so that I might receive. Now, I did the math. In this very short prayer, five times, this Pharisee has said, I. And I'm not saying that you can't say I in your prayer. I'm just saying it's telling I do this, I do this, I do this, I deserve this, I am not like this. Five times in this prayer, we hear the word I. The Pharisees did actually fast twice a week. That's that's impressive. Mondays and Thursdays, they fasted. They did that so that they could walk into the marketplace and show the people who were buying their lunch and dinner, "We're, we're not eating today. We're not purchasing anything because we are devout to our fasting. While the Bible, which is absolutely truth, demands one day a year for the fast. That's in the Old Testament. It's Numbers 29, verse 7, if you actually want to read it. It says, on the 10th day of this seventh month, hold a sacred assembly. You must fast and not do any work. One day a year, you take off so that you might honor God. But that's not how they did it. And then this hypothetical righteous Pharisee said, but I also tithe. I don't just fast, I tithe. And I want you to know, church, 
Tithing is good. There's nothing wrong with giving 10% back to God. There's nothing self-righteous about doing that, as long as you do it with the right heart. But what the Pharisees did was they would take a tenth of their mint and a tenth of their dill. They went into their herb garden and they cut off a tenth of it to be able to bring that publicly into the storehouse and go, here, this is how religious I am. This is how righteous I am. I give 10% of everything to God because that is what he has asked for. Their hearts are so wrong. It's miles away from what God desires. But here's the thought of the Pharisee and what causes this prayer. No one else is doing what I'm doing. So clearly, God, you think I'm the best. And since I'm the best, you should probably answer any of my requests. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me because I am the best. And then Jesus places another person in this parable a sinner, a tax collector, the one hated by all in Galilee. And this is how he prays. Luke 18, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Now, we have the Pharisee who stood by himself, but that was so that everyone could hear him. He walked up on stage to pray. We have a tax collector who stood at the very, very back of the room. He would not even look up to heaven, but instead he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He stands at a distance, recognizing his unworthiness before God. Now, before you misunderstand me, our worthiness before God comes through Jesus. Our faith in him is what makes us worthy before God. Without faith in God, without faith in Jesus, we are not worthy to approach the throne. But Jesus makes that possible. I want you to know that. Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. In prayer, when we approach God, we need to do so with reverence. Knowing you have not earned any right to ask God for anything, but because of Jesus and through your faith in him, you have been given that right. Give thanks to Jesus first. That's how we should enter into prayer. Give thanks to Jesus first for paving the way for all sinners to actually approach the throne of God and then acknowledge how this tax collector chose to pray. The normal Jewish posture of prayer would be to stand and look up to heaven. That would be the normal Jewish posture, but that's not what he does. Instead, he bows his head. He looks down at the ground. And now every one of you have been told at some point in your life in an assembly, bow your heads and pray. Why? Because that is the humble approach to God. Do you have to do that? Of course not. It's just making sure that your heart is right. The Pharisee, God, thank you that I am not a sinner like them. That is so pompous and so wrong. The humble prayer instead is, God, be merciful. 
He would not even look up into heaven, verse 13, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's his whole prayer, according to Jesus. That's what he gives, according to Jesus. I want us to see, I want us to see the difference in the approach. God, thank you that I'm not like this, beating his chest. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. He's not beating his chest out of anger. I think he's grabbing his heart. There's a word the NIV doesn't translate. It's a definite article. It's the. It's, it, it's, I don't know why they don't put it in there, the word the, but I am the sinner. How much more so does that change the prayer for you? God, have mercy on me. I'm the sinner. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm as bad as it gets. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that moment? But that's his prayer. I'm the sinner. Have mercy on me. And church, I want you to know that both men walked away that day having received what they prayed for. Both men did. You would think one got their answer and one didn't, but I want you to know that both ultimately got what they wanted. The Pharisee asked for nothing, so he got nothing. He asked the Lord for nothing, so he got nothing. He got exactly what he asked for. But there's a second man, the tax collector, who received the mercy he so humbly, humbly pleaded for and petitioned for. Luke 18, verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. In the first century, what Jesus just said there would have got him killed. Literally murdered. The Pharisee got nothing and the tax collector got what they wanted from the heavenly father. That was enough to get him murdered. This parable is a whole lot bigger than we understand. But I want you to see that. I tell you the truth. The man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted the tax collector was justified before God, made right before God. His prayer was answered. The Pharisee went home, having been heard by the crowd and making a sinner feel bad. He got exactly what he wanted. God is not senseless. He's not oblivious. He responds and moves in ways that correspond with our heart. Those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled by God. So church, what do we learn? What do we learn today? When we pray, and I, I hope you pray, when we pray, pray to God, not just to be heard, 
by someone else or to say, I prayed. Actually petition the Father. Actually go to him with your heart and your requests. Do not just think, oh, I'm good enough that I should be blessed. Trust me, I've been there. I've walked that road. It is empty. Go to God and actually pray. When you pray, come humbly before God. He owes you nothing, yet he gives generously to those who truly ask. When you come to God, realize that what you're asking for, he doesn't owe you that. But he will generously give to those who humbly approach him and ask in humble obedience for the creator and sustainer of the universe to intercede on your behalf. He doesn't owe you that, but he chooses out of love to do that. And think about what you say. I I, I know in prayer, you're supposed to just let the spirit lead. I get that. But think about what you say. There's no need for lots of words. It's not like when you pray eloquently, God hears you. And when you pray feebly, God doesn't hear you. There's, there's nothing about that. Think about what you say. There's no need for more words than necessary to make your request. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. This is what I close with. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, when you enter into his presence. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools is your own self-righteous acts. How many times do people go to God and say, I gave, I served, I went to church, so you owe me this. Solomon here is saying, do not offer the sacrifice of a fool. That's, a, that's good. What you did is good, but it doesn't put God in your debt. Don't do that. Do not offer the sacrifice of a fool who do not know that what they do is wrong. Instead, verse 2, don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Because God is in heaven and you are, you are on earth, so let your words be few. God's not moved by your eloquent speech. He's moved by your humble heart. And when you go before him in prayer, pray just as the tax collector did. Head bowed, heart open. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Present your request, and then watch God move. He owes you nothing, but he'll give you everything if you ask. Father, help us be people of prayer. Help us to petition you in the right way with humble hearts, obedient hearts, Jesus, without you, we are nothing. With you, we have everything. May we ask you to advance your kingdom in our lives, to pour out your blessing and favor. 
God, may we be people of prayer. Help us see what we need to do to remove the obstacles in our lives from being those people, those people of prayer. And God, do so for your glory.